everybody, this is Rev Yearwood, your host of The Coolest Show, and you are listening to a special episode of The Coolest Show, one in which we are listening to a conversation put on by the Black Hive and the Movement for Black Lives. It was the parable of the movement, an ode to Octavia Butler. It was done during Climate Week, and it is an awesome, phenomenal conversation. Please enjoy. This is The Coolest Show, brought to you by Hip Hop Caucuses. Think 100%. It's the coolest show you know, keep the culture connected. It's the coolest show you know. In your ear, yeah, respect the expert level information, entertainment, education. Rev here, we got you covered as you hit your destination. Climate rules everything around me. Cream. For those who lost focus, close your eyes and just dream. Open your third eye, now the world is your off. Coolest, coolest show you know. It's the Hip Hop Caucus. So tonight's event uh, is connected to Climate Week, which is a huge week in the climate world, where everybody comes into New York, they go to the UN, you get all these white-led environmental orgs and these big greens and folks who are not necessarily here for our people talking about our communities and about solutions, which actually are false. So one of the things that we wanted to do this week as the Black Hive is to roll strong and to lift up the voices of black climate change leaders who are not only from New York, but across the whole of the US and black diaspora. So um, I have the privilege and honor of uh, supporting and leading the Black Hive, which is the climate environmental justice group inside the movement for black lives. We have about 150 of the most brilliant, brightest, most powerful climate and environmental justice leaders in the black community. And we come together weekly, uh, monthly, um, to have different conversations around the issue of climate change, the problem that faces our communities and coming up with solutions. And so together, the Black Hive is a home for all black climate environmental justice leaders, whatever shape, size, form that looks like, whatever kind of work. So we have people who are farmers, we have people who are policymakers, we have people who are artists, musicians, authors, reverends, people who are doing community work, building alternatives. Um, and so we came together in 2021 and we created something called the Black Climate Mandate. And the Black Climate Mandate is our North Star, and we wrote it together. And it outlines the areas and the issues that are affecting our planet and our people the most. And so we split that down into like nine different areas. Um, so we have land, economy, democracy, black diaspora. We have uh, energy, water, labor, the economy. I think that was the nine. I might be missing one. Black Hive, was that it? I think so. So that might have been the nine. <laughs> but we also come together around skills and, and our talents. And so we have different teams. So we have our communications and narrative team. We have our policy and legislative team. And we have our organizing and resiliency team. Through that, we do political education, 
And through that, we're looking at data and research as well. But at tonight, this event has been put on by our communications and narrative team. Yeah. So they've been coming together since March of this year to really start to dream about how we practice together and how we can build a campaign that actually is rooted in black innovation and, and creative solutions. And so we wanted, and other members will speak to this, but to create and frame this in black literature and the history of black literature. And the team chose Octavia Butler as one of those authors for us to really kind of connect to, study and carry on her legacy. And so tonight we're launching a narrative campaign called The Parable of the Movement. Let's give out some love. And our authors and our, our team, our leaders will talk more to that and what that means. But this is the start of a two-year campaign, at least, that we'll be doing. And we wanted to, to start it here in the Free Black Women's Library because of how important this space is. So Ola is our founder and our host. Ola um, has been on an amazing journey with this space. I met Ola in 2015, right? We met. I think so. At the Movement for Black Lives convening in Cleveland. We sat next to each other and we ended up holding hands. Oh, yeah. crying. <laughs> it was like that kind of bonding moment. Um, and from there, Ola had this vision of providing free literature that's been written by black women. And it started, and you can talk more to this, I'm just telling you a story, but from what I've observed, started with some suitcases. And Ola would go around to sitting on stoops in community gardens with uh, suitcases full of books written by black women. It then moved into some other per like semi-permanent spaces, um, but Ola was constantly moving around. And now... Ola has this space, which is such a huge, 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 yeah. right? Like, honestly, to be able to have a space in Bedside that's a black women's library and is a space for the community to come in and also a space where you can get fresh fruit, you can have trainings, you can have mentorship, you can have sisterhood and community, and that's what this space is about. And so we didn't want to launch this in Manhattan or in launch it in a big place with all this. That we wanted to launch it with community and to talk to each other today um, and to honour Octavia Butler, all of the black women um, authors who have come before her, after her. And um, thank you, Ola. Thank you for opening your space and mm -hmm. allowing us to be here. So thank you. I want to hand it over to you. Thank you all for being here. Um, yeah, so this is the Free Black Women's Library. It's been open. Well, I started the library in 2015 with 100 books. Mm. And initially it was a traveling library. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you want me to stand here? Yeah, I see you. Do you? <laughs> um, so basically... It's a social art project that really is about centering and celebrating the brilliance of Black women writers, uh, their creativity, the imagination and the diversity of Black women, 
And we also have books by black non-binary writers as well. So this is also uh, just uh, lifting up the concept of uh, blackness being uh, global uh, because we do have books written by black women from all over the world. And that's something that is, has always been very important to me. Um, I guess I'm a baby Pan-Africanist in some ways. But the way the library works is through a trading system. So all of these books are, all of these books and these books are available for a trade one for one. Uh, people come in every Sunday between one and six with one book, two books, three books, and they get to take one or two or three. Um, we are practice discernment with the books that we take. So we ask people to practice discernment with the books that they bring. Uh, they don't need to be brand new, um, but they do need to be in good condition and they do need to be good books. Um, so I feel like some of y'all have been here for a minute, so you've probably noticed the way that they're broken up with fiction, memoirs, autobiography, poetry, history, sociology, and et cetera, et cetera. And in addition to the trading system, this space is also a community space that people can use to read and write, to rest, to work, to have meetings, to have small events like this one. Um, and we also have free workshops, presentations, and film screens and things like that. So this particular event is really in alignment with our theme for the month of September. The theme for the month is nature. So we're doing a lot of workshops and conversations around our connection to nature, uh, especially from a racialized perspective, right? Because that's something different. Um, today we had our community garden day and we had our farmer's market, which some of y'all caught. Uh, yesterday we had a nature writing workshop. Next Saturday, we're having a Black Women and Climate Change conversation that's being led by Black Girl Environmentalists. That's at three. So you're all welcome to come to that. And then on Sunday, we're having a Black Woman Beekeeper who's going to come in with her bees. And she's yeah, going to talk to us. Black Women Beekeepers. <laughs> she's going to talk to us about being an apiarist and her uh, what got her started in that, the spiritual aspects of working with bees, and she's going to lead us through an activity where we get to make candles from beeswax. Uh, one of the things that's really important to me about all the events that we do is that they're interactive because I think it's very important for people to really embody whatever it is that we're discussing. So whenever we do anything, I always ask whoever's facilitating to please incorporate something that gets people moving, gets people active, gets people using their hands, working with their body, and they get to walk away with something. So the last thing I'll say, because I feel like I've talked a lot, is our very last event, which is on the 30th, is going to be uh, Nature as Medicine. So how to use herbs to heal and soothe the body. And we're gonna learn how to make tea from an herbalist using the herbs that we wrote in our liberation garden in the back. Um, this garden in the back was actually a community project that we did on Juneteenth. But please follow me on Instagram if you want to know what's happening. That's the only platform that I'm capable of keeping up with these days. <laughs> and our, maybe you can come through. And if you want to collaborate on something, let me know. If you want to rent out the space for an event, let me know.
And um, yeah, do I have anything else to say? Thank you. Um, the hours are one to five, Wednesdays and Thursdays, Saturdays and Sundays, one to six. You can come here, you can come and take a nap, you can come here with your sweetie and hold hands and do poems to each other. You can come here on your laptop and take a Zoom meeting. These are all things that people have actually done. So I'm not making this up. We have art supplies. We have Connect Four, Scrabble. If you're not into books, we have games and art supplies. We have comic books and graphic novels. Um, if you want to come here and get a hug, maybe I might be available for that. It depends on the day. Um, but yes, the easiest way to support the library and make sure that it stays existing is to buy some merch. T-shirts, magnets, all that good stuff. Follow me. Tell your friends about the project. And yeah, if you know anybody that needs to give away some money, send them my way. And um, yeah, thank you all. The Free Black Women's Library. Yeah. And I think that's what I'm going to say. I said to thank y'all for being here. And um, I think that's all I have to say. Thank you for being here. I appreciate y'all. So I just want to say it's a delight to be here looking out at all this uh, beautiful folks in the audience. And I'm still really like buzzing from the march today. Can uh, can anybody who was at the march today make a little noise? Hey! Yeah, so a lot of us were there. And others of us, I'm sure, were sending us good energy. Um, yeah, so thank you so much, Sister Ola. Thank you so much, Jahari, Nat. Um, and the Black High for all the work that y'all have been doing in so many different ways um, around community building and the climate space. Um, I am really excited about this uh, parable of the movement. Um, and so Octavia Butler um, wrote Parable of the Sower 20 years ago in 1993. And she was talking about... Um, the climate crisis coming home in this moment. It was about 2024, 25. You know, LA is half underwater. There's a president, a white racist president running around talking about make America great again. I mean, she nailed it in all these ways and, and with this intense increase in racism and kind of um, rise of fascism. And, you know, she wrote this powerful story about black people struggling through climate crisis. Um, and in many ways, she was part of this set of dystopian novels that are like cautionary tales, right? 20 years ago, like, watch out, y'all. We need to be careful. We need to make shifts. We need to um, change course if we want to protect both this planet and our people. And that was so important, and there continue to be really powerful books written by many folks and a lot written by Black women in this tradition. One of the things about, uh, what, from what I've read, Butler intended uh, the parable series to end with climate solutions. And that was sort of what she intended at the beginning. So Parable of the Sower, you know, there's sort of a temporary solution the second book in the series, Parable of the Talents, um, 
things kind of get worse. And then she was attempting to write towards solutions. And from what I understand, she was frustrated. And I believe that in the time that she was writing, she didn't have access to people in general or black people in particular who had clarity about what solutions to the climate crisis were. What I understand, uh, from what I understand, she was getting to a place of like, well, people could travel to other planets, right? Mm -hmm. But as we say in the climate movement, like there is no planet B. Mm -hmm. So we actually have to contend with this planet. No matter what Jeff Bezos might or might not be doing, mm -hmm. there is no other planet to go to. And so, you know, being in the Black Hive has been so inspiring seeing an international group of Black people fighting for climate and environmental justice. And we've been thinking about not just literature, but also what we want in reality. And so it was going to be a trilogy. So we have Parable of the Sower, Parable of the Talents, and there was going to be Parable of the Trickster, and there were a few other titles that she used. But the vision of Parable of the Movement is that we, the movement, are Octavia Butler's third book. That it's not about a story about people getting to solutions, that the story we want to be able to tell is about how people actually on this planet came together and organized and fought for real solutions that were going to not just change the course of um, the climate crisis, but change it in a way that was also liberatory to Black people all over the world. Mm -hmm. So that's this vision of the parable of the movement. Um, and as part of that, um, we wanted to have different authors from different parts of the country um, and different parts of kind of the Black world come and read some of our work in poetry, nonfiction, and fiction. So the um, two authors that we invited, um, I'm familiar with both for their work in the world and from a conference that we all participated in last year called Black, Black Literature Versus the Climate Emergency. Right? So these are two Black authors um, who participated, whose work I just really appreciate and respect. And so first up, we have, I've got to take off my glasses because I am that age. Um, Kevin Leonga Aipopo is a community advocate, storyteller, and student leader based in traditional Kalupuya Confederated Tribes of the Grand Ronde and at Falati Lands, Beaverton, Oregon. Their work centers around the intersections between their ethnic identity as a Black American and Samoan person and their gender fluidity. Um, please give a warm web welcome to Kevin Leona Aikoko. Uh, so hello for love everyone. Uh, like I said, my name is Kevin. I just want to extend like a really deep gratitude and thank you for this space. And to now everyone at the Black Hive, to the Free Black Women's Library, and to Aya for welcoming me into this movement. Um, before I start speaking, I just want to invite everyone to take a collective breath. The people who share this space and this room may know each other in different places, but this collection of people for this purpose and this moment will never exist again. Mm -hmm. And so I want to honor the beauty and the energy that exists in here and that we're able to share this and remember it moving forward. 
Yeah. I've spent the last few weeks reading through Kindred and Parable of the Sower, and one thing that continues to come back to me is this really common saying in the Pacific, which is that we're walking backwards into the future. Mm -hmm. And I think very much in line with what Aya just shared, as we are approaching these climate solutions and fighting against climate injustice, it is our responsibility to like heed the word Octavia Butler and honor the beauty and strength in our work. And so I'm very thankful to have an opportunity to share a couple of pieces today that speak more to that. Um, the first piece that I'll be sharing is called Of the Earth, but I think I'll be changing the title. I'm always open to titles, I have a hard time titling things. <laughs> the second one's actually untitled, but um, this is actually the piece that I wrote for Black Literature versus the Climate Emergency, and I feels like really interesting because I hadn't even been tapped into the Black Hive yet, but mm. it speaks a lot to the work that y'all are holding down. Uh, also, just invite folks to like show up however you feel comfortable, and if I say something that resonates with you, feel free to snap, feel free to say, mm, feel free to mm -hmm. let it out. Uh, if I say something you don't like, maybe wait till after to let me know. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I appreciate it. <clears throat> A hydro flask covered in bright, quirky adhesives reading, good vibes only, it's wine o'clock, proud fur parent, Black Lives Matter, save the bees. This small stainless steel testament to environmental saviorship boasting loudly, proudly, and colorfully, Black Lives Matter, save the bees. And I begin to think if the hand wrapped around this bottle knows that it is the same one that swats at bees looking for rest, the same one that clutches its purse as I walk by, the same one that rolls up the windows, locks the door, calls for help, whether it's me or the bee looking for rest. See, it's easy to say that you love something, that it matters when that something gives you life. When that something blooms so beautifully, creating breath in the midst of singed earth and broken neighborhoods. Easy to say you want to save them when you can steal the flowers without ever seeing the pollen. When you can steal the skin without ever seeing the pollen. Easy to proclaim it matters when the honey is sweeter on your taste buds. Mm. Like you can't taste the labor it took to produce mm. because you claim to have discovered it. The trauma in each drop present, <clears throat> the trauma present in each drop absent from your tongue. Purse tightly clutched, hand firmly swatting, keeping safe your treasures with someone else's family name on their underside. You call it a protective style. Yet you are unfamiliar with what it is that we protect. Mm. You are unable to see our roots beneath the concrete, left to wonder how we find a way to blossom between each small crack. You do not see our garden. You do not see our community. You see development. You see beneath the roots into pits of tar and oil. You see red lines and trampled fields. You see things to burn, to exploit, remove and condense and mold until it becomes thin, malleable plastic draped across the front of your hydro flask reading Black Lives Matter, Save the Bees. And this is how we know the climate crisis and anti-Black racism are synonymous. We call this word justice. You call it aggression. Mm -hmm. You call it suspect. You call a bee a threat, me a threat, the same way you call a cell phone a gun. And as the sky collapses, we have no recourse for safety. Stinger and skin, a warrant to be called armed and dangerous, a demand to comply. As if we weren't the ones in imminent danger, 
any method of self-defense and immediate death sentence, leaving my mother wondering if that stain was worth seeing my face on these shirts with angel wings. We never wanted to die. We just wanted to breathe. Appreciate y'all. And just one more collective breath. I tend to write longer, um, so I tried to write a shorter piece. And since I have a little more time to share, I'll share that. Uh, again, this is untitled, and I'm very open to titles if folks know of titles. <laughs> I was planted at an intersection of trauma and wishful hands, bred from loose seeds, drifting through salt and blood until they were planted in a plot of asphalt that resembled soil cultivated by generations of hope, smothered and stacked to survive. It is my duty to blossom, to make green the truth that was sown so long before me. Thank you all. Um, I think that's all the words that I have to share today. But again, I thank you all so much for this space and this opportunity. And yeah, I think I'm ready to hand it off to you. Lovely, thank you. Lovely, thank you, powerful and specific, especially <laughs> given, you know, some of the wonderful and interesting things that we saw at the march today. Mm. That's right. Um, so our second reader, Emily Rabateau, writes at the intersection of social and environmental justice, race, climate change, and parenthood. Her upcoming book is Lessons for Survival, Mothering Against the Apocalypse. And I have to say, I first became aware of your work. It's the New York, New York Review, Review of, of Books. Books. Yeah, which had this incredible essay titled Lessons for Survival about kind of the impact of climate change on Harriet Tubman's home, like hmm. former home, correct? I'm going to read from it. Oh, yes. Yeah, so no spoilers. It. All right. <laughs> anyway, please give it up for Emily Rabateau. Special thanks to Aya for inviting me to Kevin. It's, it's wonderful to hold space with you. Thank you for those words. And this is a, a wonderful space. I'm so, I feel very privileged to be here tonight. Um, thank you to all the work everybody's doing. I'm going to read from the essay you just mentioned. First, I want to say I'm also a professor um, of creative writing in the English department at the City College of New York, which is in Harlem. And I regularly teach the parable of the sower in particular. Um, because it was so prescient, that book takes place in 2024. You know, it was like a near future reality and now it's that's like, we're here. And um, I think one of the things we can learn from Octavia Butler is how to read the signs of the times to understand what's coming. Mm. What you just shared, Aya, about us being her third book gave me the chills. Um, it makes me sad to think she didn't have maybe this kind of community to do mm -hmm. the visioning she would have required to, to see her trilogy through. And mm -hmm. it just makes me feel as a writer um, and a member of the community all that more committed to, to continue the kind of visioning she, she had and she evinced on the page. So I'm going to read from Lessons for Survival, which is um, an essay slash book review I wrote about sea level rise, but it's also about... Um, looking to the past to be able to understand what to do in the future. 
lessons in survival. Because of our past, which is not really past, so long as white supremacy persists, my extended family chose in the summer of 2018 to celebrate the 4th of July at the newly opened Harriet Tubman Underground Railroad State Park and Visitor Center on Maryland's eastern shore. The park abuts a wildlife refuge between the place where Tubman was born and where she grew up, and so the Blackwater swampland she knew, the plantation, the canal where she floated timber, the marshes where she checked the muskrat traps of her so-called masters, the territory where she sang sweet, swing low, sweet chariot to signal that it was time to run is preserved. We felt that Tubman was the best and bravest model of independence our nation had to offer since her individual freedom meant nothing to her without the freedom of her community. I photographed my kids age five and seven with their cousins. I was struck by three forces of nature at the Tubman Center that day. The first was the indomitable spirit of the Moses of her people herself, the woman who risked her life 13 times in 10 years by returning south to lead 70 some enslaved humans out of bondage. The second was the peril of sea level rise, the marshy landscape Tubman navigated as a brave conductor on the Underground Railroad is slowly going underwater. The third was my nephew, Albert, named after my brother, Albert, named after my father, Albert, named after my grandfather, Albert, who was killed by a white man, but whose spirit lives on. Thus, at one historic site coalesced three different examples of resilience. My grandmother, Maybelle Sincere Roboteau, fled the coastal town of Bay St. Louis, Mississippi, and the terror of Jim Crow along the northern pathway of the Great Migration to Michigan in order to save her life and the lives of her children. The youngest of them was my father, Albert Jr. He was still in her womb when a white man shot and killed her husband, my grandfather, practically for sport. I probably don't need to tell you that Albert Sr.'s murderer went scot-free. Mm -hmm. The details are fuzzy. The man's name was Summerall. He owned the ice house in the bay. A fight had gone down in the ice house. Maybelle's friend, Nini, had felt threatened. My grandfather went to Summerall's house to confront him. Summerall wasn't home, but his wife was. She relayed to my, grand my grandfather's anger to her husband. The next day, Summerall went to the grocery store where my grandfather worked as a clerk and shot him to death. There were no witnesses. Summerall was arrested, he claimed self-defense and was not prosecuted. With such ease, my grandfather was dispatched down south in 1943. The courage it took Maybelle to escape from harm's way and start her life over was no less extraordinary for being such an ordinary African-American story. Her fugitive ways were also driven by the gift of improvisation, the same kind of talent that could draw low-down music out of an upside-down bucket, the handle of a broom, and a single string. What other gut bucket choice did she have but this? As Mary Anais Heglar points out in her vital essay, Climate Change Ain't the First Existential Threat, there is a short-sighted arrogance to the environmental movement when it claims ours is the first generation in history to face annihilation. Mm -hmm. Faced with the horrors of climate change, how do we define or redefine the term resilience? What do we mean when we name a person, place, or thing resilient? When I hear that word, I can't help thinking of my grandmother and of both the Great Migration and the Underground Railroad as prior examples of organized retreat, albeit from a different hazard to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness than the rising sea. I'll stop there. <laughs>
Um, thank you. So one of the things that I was excited about with this trio of authors is that we have poetry, nonfiction, and I'm going to read some fiction. So again, my name is Aya de Leon. Um, I uh, work with the Black Hive and in my other life, I'm a climate novelist. And, um, you know, I, um, I tend, I read some science fiction and fantasy, and I really appreciate the way that, you know, in many ways following in Octavia Butler's footsteps, there have been all of these different sort of cautionary tales around climate, around, you know, these sort of dystopian worlds where, um, you know, the climate and environment have been impacted. And I just really appreciate this tradition of cautionary tales. And I think in addition to us being the third book that fights for climate justice in reality, I'm also sort of obsessed with wanting a literature of climate justice that's set in the here and now and isn't us writing about what will happen after we lose the fight that we're in. That's actually a literature of how do we win the fight that we're in here and now. Um, and I, you know, for me, I, I started writing, um, climate fiction after Hurricane Maria hit Puerto Rico. That was my sort of climate wake up call as a black person, uh, with various black heritages, one of them being Puerto Rican. Um, I wrote a novel about, uh, Afro, um, an Afro Latina woman going through the hurricane, um, and that novel sort of got to just calling it out, like, this isn't a natural disaster. This is what happens when colonization meets the climate crisis. And then, you know, I went on to write, I have five climate novels out, and each one, I'm sort of getting further and further towards this idea of winning. Um, and so my most recent book um, is called That Dangerous Energy, and uh, so the thing to know about my work is, unlike a lot of kind of climate literature that's not sci-fi fantasy, it is genre work. And so a lot of it is, um, they're kind of like sexy thriller romances that are also <laughs> climate <laughs> fiction. Anyway, um, thank you all so much. And I want to transition now um, to Jahari. Um, my name is Jahari Farrar. I am from here, uh, which is nice. <laughs> um, I am a fourth generation Brooklyn resident and um, organizer. And I'm here on behalf of the Movement for Black Lives, representing the Black Hive at the Movement for Black Lives. Yes. Um, thank you. I'm very excited to see several of the folks in that network who um, are from multiple places um, outside of this borough and outside of the state come join us for Climate Week um, to stir stuff, stuff up. You know what I'm saying? Um, I'm glad you're here. Um, excuse me. I'm glad to see y'all taking the appropriate kind of space. Um, I am also uh, representing the Malcolm X Grassroots Movement. That is my local organization. What, what? All right. I appreciate that. Free the land. Um, so that is... Um, a local and national organization. I represent the New York chapter, um, specifically the Brooklyn um, division. I have grown up and through this work, 
Um, I started as a youth in the movement. Um, I come from a lineage of movement workers and educators. Um, I was probably five or six at my first action um, or protest. And I now work with um, youth who are in the movement um, and who come are coming in and through. Um, I'm really, really pleased and honored to continue this legacy. Y'all might see on my shirt that I have Baba Matulu Shakur um, Ibaye. He just became an ancestor this year um, after he was free. More of our work at MXGM, um, aside from um, promoting information about, like spreading the information about political prisoners and advocating for their freedom, um, in real, like calculated ways. As I said, we freed Matulu. We also freed Baba Sundiata Akoli. Um, we freed Baba Herman Bell. Um, Baba Sekou Odinga, I, if you see me once I'm out of this <laughs> speaking to you space, um, please hit me up about a link to support his medical needs. He's in dire um, need of care from community right now. It's what he dedicated his entire life to. Um, and he is free as well, but is him and his family need some support. So I'm gonna plug that now so that you know to talk to me later. Um, but I'm gonna transition us into an exercise. Now, Mama Ola also let y'all know, I think I cut myself off. I started to talk about the other things that we do besides advocating for political prisoners, but it's a good bulk of our work. Um, we work with youth. Um, we teach them about self-defense their cultural heritage. We teach them about community care, what that looks like, um, the definition of mutual aid and how to be, a, how to spearhead it. Um, we also have um, the New African Scouts program. When I said I grew up and through the Malcolm X grassroots movement is because the youth um, facet of the Malcolm X grassroots movement is called the New African Scouts. There are chapters um, all along the Black Gulf South in, uh, in New York, in, the Bay, in LA, um, and a few other places. And so if you have a young person who's looking to get involved in that work, please send them our way. We Our programming this year starts October 13th. So that's coming up soon. Um, and it will be here, actually, in this space, um, which is really exciting. I um, appreciate y'all for letting me share where I'm coming from because it's very important to me that I acknowledge how I got here. Um, it was not happenstance, but it is an active choice. Um, so although like I, I, there's the pressure of feeling like I have to live up to the expectations um, that are put on me, really what folks who love you want for you is to do what feels right <laughs> and do what feels good. And this still feels right and still feels good. So that's why I'm here. Um, I would love to transition us into an exercise, but I want to start by hearing from y'all. Um, we're honoring Octavia Butler today. I think that's really, really important. We know, we heard earlier that this is the 30th anniversary of Parable of the Sower, but that book takes place next year. Um, so I'm going to read a quote. Um, now that we've heard some of our own voices in this space, I hope to hear more of them throughout. Um, this quote is by Octavia. It is from Wild Seed. So in my years, I have seen that people must be their own gods and make their own good fortune. The bad will come or not come anyway. Mm. Um, so I'm just going to hold that for a second. Um, Octavia taught us that the destiny of Earth Seed is to take root among the stars, right? And so if I am change and you are change and we're responsible for orchestrating change, I'd like you to reflect um, in, over these next 10 or so minutes um, first on a time 
you have an option to either reflect on a time where you orchestrated change on any level. Um, and then the other question that you have the option of responding to, if you're feeling ambitious, respond to both. But the other question is, what does change feel like? Um, feel, taste, smell, look, sound like, what is the physical reaction to change that you have experienced or are longing to? Like what you heard on this episode? Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Follow us at Think 100 Climate and at Hip Hop Caucus on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Visit thecoolestshow.com where you can take action for climate justice right now. You can also learn more about this podcast and donate to Think 100%, which is a non-profit project. Thank you for listening and all power to the people. It's the coolest show you know. It's the coolest show you know.